Good morning, Journey. As always, it's an incredible privilege to be with you and talk about what God has to say to us as a community this morning. If you were here last week, we embarked on a series that we're calling Cojourners. And what we're doing is we're just trying to unpack this biblical worldview of what God is doing in the world to bring people into a relationship with Him. And what we know from Scripture, absolutely without a shadow of a doubt, is that every person that walks this planet is somehow on a spiritual journey. They are moving either toward God, they're moving away from God, maybe they're completely stuck in their relationship with God or where they're at in their relationship with God, and maybe they're at a place where they're just completely apathetic to God. But what is true of every one of those people, regardless of where they're at, is that God cares about them. God made them, and He made them in His image. He made them to have a relationship with Him. And He's got this plan in place where He is drawing people back into a relationship with Him. And here's what He also makes clear is that no one comes to Him apart from His working in their life. This is God's work. This is how the scripture says it in John chapter 6, verse 44. It says, no one comes to me, that's Jesus, unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. So we can just sit back and relax and just say, this is God's work. God is the only one who can change a person's life. God is the only one who has the right to change a person's life. He's the one who can reach into their heart and take out a heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh that is responsive to him. Only God can do that. So the pressure is off us, friends. But here's the incredible privilege that God entrusts to us is that he says, in this plan of redemption, you're gonna be my hands. You're gonna be my feet. You're gonna be my voice into the lives of these people. I want to use you to accomplish this purpose in the world, this incredible privilege. Now, God doesn't just do this because God is lazy and he wants someone else to do his work for him. God has something in mind for us as well in this whole redemptive process. You see, God wants to do something in you in this as well. It's not just about the end with God. The means matter to him as well. Because when we engage with him in this process, it does something in our life as well. It brings our faith to life as we begin to see God work in the lives of other people. And this is how the Apostle Paul said it in Philemon. And how many, when was the last time you had a good quiet time in Philemon, right? We're never in that book, right? Probably many of us don't even know where that book is. But there is a gem in there that I want to share with you today. Philemon verse 6. It says, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that, meaning this is the result of what will happen in your life when you are active in sharing your faith with other people, so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. You might have experienced that principle in your life. It's when you actually try to teach something to other people, when you try to talk to other people about something, that it actually you start to understand it more yourself. God does something in us when we engage outward in our faith. And I can honestly say over a lifetime of ministry, I've just seen this principle played out over and over and over again in the lives of people. People that are outward in their faith, people that are engaging others in conversations about God and engage with other people 
even other believers about their faith, talking about that, are the most alive people when it comes to their relationship with God. And if you see people that are stuck in their relationship with God, I would say almost all the time, there's just an inward focus. People that are inward, their faith doesn't flourish. And this is what God wants for us. He wants our faith to flourish. And a piece of that is getting us out of our comfort zone and into the lives of other people. God wants us to engage with others. And I believe that's true of probably most of the people in this room. If you know Christ, you want God to use you in the lives of other people. And I, and I, I think that was borne out last week when, if you were here last week, at the end of the at the end of Brian's sermon, he gave an opportunity for people to text in if there were people that were on their heart that they wanted to have an influence in their life for Christ. Over 400 people texted in over 2,000 names of people that they wanted to personally come alongside and influence them in their relationship with God. That tells me that absolutely beyond a shadow of a doubt in this room and around our church, there's a want to. We want to have make a difference in the lives of people. And what we're trying to do with this series, friends, is we want to develop a how-to. How do we actually do that? Because the closer that we get to Christ, what the Bible tells us is that we become more like Him. There's this process that God enters us into where we're actually being conformed into the image of Christ. We become more like Him. We become like Him in His character, but we also become like Him in His ministry. When we are close to Christ, the things that Christ loves, we begin to love. The things that are on the heart of Christ become on our heart. And you can just have a, 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 just, a, just an overview of Scripture. If you just look at it not even very closely in the New Testament, you see that Christ's heart breaks for people that are outside His kingdom. And so when we get closer to Christ, our heart is going to break for people that are outside the kingdom. And what we want to do in this series is we want to think about how do we come alongside people in that process. And we're calling this series Cojourners. And what we're going to do over the next several weeks is we're going to talk about different roles that we play as we come alongside people in that journey. And I've got a graphic here to kind of help that explain that a little bit. This is kind of an overview of the Cojourners process that we're talking about. There's different roles we play. Today we're going to be talking about the explorer role. And the explorer role is simply that we want to find out where people are at on their spiritual journey. If it's true that everybody is on a spiritual journey, what we want to do is we want to think about how do we get into their world and find out where they're at on their spiritual journey. It's like when you go to the mall and there's that big map and well, probably not our mall because our mall's not so big. But if you go to a real mall, like a big mall, not that our mall's not a real mall, I probably just offended all the mall people that... Okay, back up. You know what I'm talking about. The big maps. It could be at Disney World, not just the mall. But there's an X, and the X tells you this is where you're at. And when we're in the explorer role, that's really what we're trying to do. We're trying to find out where the person is at. Where are they at on their spiritual journey? Where are they at in relationship to God? That's the role that we're going to talk about today. And in the coming weeks, we're going to talk about the guide role. Once we get to the place where we know where they're at on their spiritual journey— it's our job to help them figure out how do we get them from where they're at to the cross? How do we help them understand who God is? How do we help them understand what God's like? 
How do we help them understand what God has done for them in Christ and how they can respond to what God has done for them in Christ? That's what we're going to talk about over the next couple of weeks, how God can use us in the lives of people in the guide role. We're also going to talk about the bridge role, the bridge builder role, because many of you have known, even in your own journey to faith in Christ, is that it's not always a straight line. There are oftentimes there's obstacles to us coming to faith in Christ. There can be intellectual obstacles, just questions that we have that we don't understand about God and about the world and how those things work together. There can be emotional obstacles, just maybe even things in our past that hurts and wounds that keep us from understanding who God is and what he's like. And sometimes there's just volitional barriers, barriers of the will, where we just say, maybe I understand these things to be true, but I want to do what I want to do. I don't want to surrender my life to Christ. There's all kinds of barriers that we need to help people understand and overcome. And the last role is the mentor role. When someone comes to faith in Christ, what do we do then? How do we help them become a disciple and begin to make disciples of others? So that's just kind of painting a big picture on the wall of kind of where we're going to be heading over the next several weeks. We're going to be kind of double-clicking on each one of those throughout the next several weeks. But today we're going to specifically talk about the explorer role. And if you want to be an explorer in the life of another person, what are some things that you need to put in your backpack to head out on this journey to get into the lives of other people? And the first thing that I would say that you've got to have in your backpack is you've got to have the right motivation. What is it that's driving me to get into the lives of other people? Because there's just a myriad of things that can drive us to be about evangelistic purposes of God or this redemptive mission of God. And some of them, I think, aren't so helpful. And I've said this before, oftentimes we can be motivated by guilt, fear, or shame. Because we know that we should be involved in this. Because we read the Bible and we just see that this is so on the heart of God. And we just see in us even a desire to want to see that happen. But there's fear that comes up in us. And the shame that I'm just not doing it. I'm just not engaging in it. I don't want to be a loser Christian. I want to do what God has asked me to do. But I just want to, if I can, just try to get you to relax a little bit here this morning. And just say that guilt, fear, and shame are not the motivations that we're looking for. Because they are not going to lead us long-term into the lives of other people. They just won't. And what convinces me of this is that Jesus never leveraged guilt or shame to get people on board with him and his mission. He just never did. But if there was anyone that had the right and the ability to leverage guilt and shame, if he wanted to, it would be him. But he chose not to. But he made invitation. He made invitation to join him in what he's doing. And he made it clear throughout scripture that the only motivation that is going to keep us engaged over the long term with people, exploring and engaging and co-journeying with people for a lifetime is love and compassion. The only thing that's going to get us there the long term is love and compassion for people. The Apostle Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and I wish we could unpack the whole chunk of this scripture because Paul unpacks so many of the things that motivate him to be on mission with Jesus. But in this, there's a centerpiece to what he says here, and he talks about the love of Christ. And this is what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, if we are out of our mind, it is for the sake of God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. And then here it is. He says, for Christ's love compels us. It's Christ's love that compels me, constrains me, holds me, 
in this mission with him. It's Christ's love that compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and that one is Jesus. One died for all and the all is those who are in Christ. One died for all because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died, meaning that we all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Here's what Paul is trying to explain. The love of Christ was poured out in his life in such an incredible way, in such a transformational way. He genuinely experienced the love of Christ, the grace of Christ, the kindness, the compassion of Christ personally. And the response to that was, I want others to experience that as well. And he says, because I'm in Christ, because of what he's done for me, my life is not mine anymore. My life belongs to him. And that's what compelled him throughout his life, through all the difficulties that Paul experienced. It was the love of Christ that had been poured out in his life that motivated him long-term in his relationship with God and in being involved in mission with others because he knew my life doesn't belong to me anymore. And Jesus said something very similar in John 15. He says, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. When we think about what love looks like, what love and compassion looks like in an outward sense, it looks like us laying down our lives for others, putting our comfort on hold, putting our plans on hold, making our life about other people, being willing to sacrifice for the sake of others that they could come to know him. We know that we love people when we're willing to lay down our life for them. And love will lead us to sacrifice for others. Now I wanna show a video to you and it's, it's a little bit long, it's four or five minutes long, but I think it's gonna help me underscore what I'm trying to say here this morning. And it's a five minute video of a guy named Penn Gillette. You might know him better as part of a comedy illusionist act called Penn and Teller. And oftentimes they're, they're, they have a Vegas act. They're oftentimes on the late night shows. I've seen them several times, very creative, very funny. But Penn Gillette is a very outspoken atheist. But in this video, and it's not a high quality video, this is just him at his computer recording himself and some, uh, some thoughts that he had after he had an interaction with a Christian after one of his shows. And I want you to observe some of the things that Penn says in this video. Watch with me. I want to talk to you about this. Uh, I get home from the show, and at the end of the show, as I've mentioned before, we go out and we, uh, we talk to folks and, you know, sign an occasional autograph and shake hands and so on. And there was one guy waiting over to the side in the, um, what I call the hover position, after I was all done, big guy, probably about my age. Big guy. And... Um, he had been the, um, the guy who has, uh, picks the joke during our psychic comedian section of the show. Uh, so we had the props from that in his hand because we'd give those away. He had the, you know, the joke book and the, and the envelope and the paper and stuff. If you haven't seen the live show, uh, it's not worth explaining. But he had props from the show that we'd given him from the night before. Uh, he wasn't the guy that night. And he walked over to me and he said... Um, I was here last night at the show, and uh, uh, I saw the show and I liked it. I wanted. And he was very complimentary about my use of language and um, complimentary about, you know, 
honesty and stuff. He said nice stuff. No reason to go into it. He said nice stuff. And then he said, I brought this for you. And he handed me a uh, Gideon pocket edition. Um, I thought I said from the New Testament, but I also thought it was Psalms from the New Testament, right? Or, uh, Psalms from the New, just part of the New Testament. Little book about this big, this thick, you know. He said, I wrote in the front of it, and I wanted you to have this. I'm kind of uh, proselytizing. And then he said, I'm a businessman. I'm, I'm sane. I'm not crazy. And he looked me right in the eye and did all of this. And uh, it was really wonderful. I believe he knew that I was an atheist. But he was not uh, defensive, and he looked me right in the eyes. And he was truly complimentary. It wasn't in any way, it didn't seem like empty flattery. He was really kind and nice and sane and looked me in the eyes and talked to me and then gave me this Bible. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. And I've always thought that, and I've written about that, and I've thought of it conceptually. But this guy was a really good guy. He was polite and honest and sane, and he cared enough about me to proselytize and give me a, a Bible, which had written in it a little note to me, uh, not very personal, but just, you know, like to show and so on. And then like five phone numbers for him and an email address if I wanted to get in touch. Now, I know there's no God, and one polite person living his life right doesn't change that. Uh, but I'll tell you, he was a very, very, very good man. And uh, that's really important. And with that kind of goodness, uh, it's okay to have that deep of a disagreement. I still think that religion does a lot of bad stuff, but man, that was a good man who gave me that book. That's all I wanted to say. Let's just reflect for a second on some of the things that Penn talked about in that video or some of the things that became obvious to us there. One is that he is completely closed to the message of the gospel, a very devout, self-proclaimed atheist. But you can tell he was completely moved by this interaction with this man. How many times did he say, this was a good man? 
This was a very good man. And how many times in there did he say, he was sane? He was sane. Because it'll just let you know, there are people out there that are talking about Christ that don't come across sane. We know who they are. Lord, Lord bless them. Sometimes I wish they would change, not be on our team in that way. <laughs> but he made a, a, a very conscious effort to say, this man was sane. He looked me in the eye. He wasn't defensive. This man, just think about how bold that was. This is a celebrity. You're nobody. And you engage with him. You risk. You step out. And then I I think it was really challenging for me to, the first time I heard that video, to just think a little bit about Penn's logic there. And if he were standing right here, what he might say to us that follow Christ. Did you hear what he said? If you really believe what you say you believe and that this life could be better if God was a part of it and not only this life but the life to come matters that God's a part of it and you don't say anything, how much do you have to hate somebody not to say something to them? I just felt like that was just a knife in the heart when I first heard that. And actually, quite honestly, my first response was, I don't hate people. I don't have hate in my heart toward people. But you know what God so clearly spoke to me after I tried to make that defensiveness in my own heart? He said, but you know what you love more than you love people? You love your own comfort. You love your own reputation. You love what you think is your right to not have things that could be socially awkward because you want to move toward people. And I just thought, God, I've got to get to the place where I love people more than I love myself. That I care about people and have compassion for people more than I care about my own comfort and my own reputation. Because it's only friends when I get to that place and when you get to that place that we're actually gonna make a difference long-term in the lives of people. When we are driven by love and compassion that can only come as Christ pours that out in our life, like Paul said. When Christ's love compels us to move toward people. Friends, that's got to be in our backpack if we're going to be a cojourner. We've got to have love and compassion for people. And secondly, we've got to be people that are willing to take risk. Because we've got to get out of our comfort zone if we're going to go where Jesus is at on mission. And you just see this over and over and over in the Bible. I mean, just think about it. Think of all the places in the Bible where God breaks into people's lives, asks them to do something on his behalf, and the response is, that's easy, no sweat. That never happens in the Bible. Always what happens in the Bible is their eyes get big and they're just like, really, Lord, are you serious? That seems kind of scary. If we're gonna be with Christ and what he's doing in the world, it's gonna be scary, it's gonna be uncomfortable, and we're gonna have to take risk. It's been like this from the very, very beginning, friends. And I want us to look back at a, a little scene from the beginning of the church age, in the beginning of the book of Acts, when the church begins to explode and the message of redemption in Christ is beginning to break out around Jerusalem following the resurrection of Christ. I love this little text because Luke opens up the window into a little scene of the early church and he shows us a picture of a prayer meeting that they had. And here's what I want you to understand as we think about the context. They're in, the, in, a, in a society and a culture right then that had just killed Jesus for teaching what he taught. 
And now these same people that killed Jesus are looking at them and they're saying, you're next. If you're gonna go about teaching these things, you're next. We weren't afraid to kill him. We're for sure not afraid to kill you. And this is the context that they're in. And here's their prayer meeting in Acts chapter four. And this is what they prayed. It says, now Lord, consider their threats. And this is what they ask for. Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand and heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God boldly. They're in this context of persecution that we, we can't even relate to. Friends, we have no idea what it was that they were dealing with. And in the midst of that, what is it that they're asking for? I mean, I'm just thinking for myself, if I'm in that prayer meeting and we're going around the room and we're sharing prayer requests, I'm thinking, God, can you get me out of here and get me back to my family without getting killed? Can you protect me in some way? If I put up my hoodie and cover my face, could maybe I get home? These people prayed for boldness in the midst of that, not for protection, not bless me, bless me, protect me, protect me, but God, don't let me shame you by being timid. We wanna be bold with the gospel. And this is the kind of prayer that God delights in answering. Because what did he do? He poured out his spirit into their life. And what happened? They preached the word of God boldly. And this tiny little religion of a few hundred people in Jerusalem began to sweep the Roman Empire. To where 300 years from that prayer meeting, the official religion of the Roman Empire was Christianity. Because a handful of ordinary people said, we're willing to take risk. We want to be bold with our faith. I want to be those kind of people. I don't want to be the kind of person that is timid and sits back. I want to be the kind of person that's bold and willing to go where Jesus is going and be used by him. But a third thing that we've got to put in our backpack, we've got to have love and compassion for people. We've got to have a willingness to take risk and get out of our comfort zone. But friends, we've quite honestly, we've got to build some skills and intentionality in our daily life if we're actually going to move toward the things that Jesus is asking us to do. We're not going to just stumble into this idea of being effective witnesses for Christ. We've got to develop skills in our life. And this would be the first skill that I think we need to develop is that we've got to get our antennas up. And this is what I mean when I say that. I mean, we have got to believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is at work in the lives of people. He is truly drawing people to himself and that we need to look for opportunities to speak into those and to find out where it is that God is working. We need to think about how do we begin to explore into the lives of people. And this has been a principle that I've seen in my own life and I've seen it in so many people's lives throughout time is oftentimes I'll have a conversation with someone they just They'll say something like, well, I just don't feel like there's any opportunities around me. But then we begin to think about it. We begin to pray about it. And we begin to, God begins to surface people's, people in our mind. And we begin to take steps toward those people. And all of a sudden, God starts showing up everywhere. Where we thought that there weren't opportunities, suddenly there are. And the problem is, is that we just get so busy in our life. And we just get our head down and we're going through the grind. We're doing our thing. We don't have our antennas up. We're not looking for God to be at work in the lives of people. And then what happens is our expectations of God's ability to change people's lives just shrinks. 
We have so little expectation that we're, we're never moving toward people. We've got to be people who get our antennas up. And the second thing that needs to be true of us is we can't make assumptions about people. We can't make assumptions about where people are at on, our, on their spiritual journey. And we can do that all the time. We observe things on the outside and we think we know what's going on under the hood. And that's just oftentimes, not oftentimes, I'd say most of the time, it's probably not accurate. On the one hand, we can see people that they go to church all the time. I see them reading their Bible. They post really spiritual stuff on Facebook. And we just make the assumption they're doing great with God. No need to press into their life. No need to explore where they're at with God. And maybe on the other side, we look at people who are living lifestyles that just seem so contrary to what God would want for them. And we look at that and we say, they're obviously not interested in spiritual things. No need to engage with them. They're just not interested. And we're wrong most of the time. We just don't know what God might be doing. And I think so often about my own life, and I probably shared this before, but when I was a college student, it would have been so easy for people to look at my life and look at the things that I was involved with and just say, whoa, man, that guy's not interested in God at all. But the truth is, is what they didn't know, what they didn't see, and I can just remember this so clearly, the nights that I would spend laying in my bed, just staring at my red digital clock, watching the numbers change throughout the night, thinking, is this all that life is about? Is this it? Trying to get good grades, trying to get girls. Is, is, this, all that, is this all that life's about? And then you just think about all these people around me that are just saying, these are the best years of your life. I'm thinking, this is the best? Inside, I was just caving in and dying. And I'm so thankful that there was a friend that was willing to look past that, willing to look past the outer behaviors and just say, I want to figure out where you're at with God. And he began to explore in my life and see that there was a hunger there that God was stirring up. That it wasn't manifest on the outside, but there was a hunger there that God used him to fill in my life. Don't make assumptions about where people are at because you just don't know. It's true today, and it was true 2,000 years ago as well. If we stepped in to the New Testament and you were to ask people, just randomly ask people, who is it that has the God thing figured out? Who would people say? They would say the religious leaders, the scribes, the Pharisees. They're the ones who got this all figured out. But we know they were some of the furthest from the heart of God, weren't they? But if you were to ask people at that time, who are the people that are far from God? Who are the people that don't care about God and the things of his kingdom at all? They probably would have pointed out people like tax collectors, prostitutes, sinners, as they called them. Who were the people that were finding life in Christ all the time? Who was it that Christ spent an inordinate amount of time with? Tax collectors, prostitutes, sinners. He was working in their life. They were finding help and hope in the gospel regularly. Friends, if we're going to be people that are on mission with Jesus, we have got to be friends and close friends with people whose lives don't look anything like Christ. If we want to be on mission with him, we've got to be in the muck and the mire with people that living lives far from God. We've got to engage with people. We can't assume that we know on the outside what God is doing on the inside. Don't make assumptions about anyone. We need to explore with everyone that's in our world. Another thing that we need to do is if we're going to engage in this, if we're going to try to find out what's going on underneath the surface in someone's life, we need to ask permission 
to do that. Just like you're not going to barge into someone's house without knocking. At least I hope you don't get in trouble for that. We don't barge into people's lives without asking either. We need to be people that simply boldly but clearly ask for permission to talk with people about their spiritual life and the things that are going on there. And don't think that we're going to try to do this like end around, sneaky kind of thing to start a spiritual conversation. You know that kind of awkward thing where you imagine where it's like, oh, wow, look at that beautiful sunset. You know that God made the sun. Speaking of God's son, what do you think about Jesus? That, that's not how we enter into people's lives. We just ask them simply, can I ask you some questions about your spiritual life? And here's a, a word that I think can be the most helpful for you as you're thinking about engaging with someone and asking them permission, and it's the word sometime. The word sometime can help you out because it can pull back the awkwardness and the pressure that a person might feel when you talk with them about spiritual things. Because quite honestly, we don't often do that in our, in our culture. We don't talk about religion. We don't talk about politics. So a way to ask that question is, I'm really interested in what you think about spiritual things. Could I ask you some questions sometime? It gives them the opportunity to think about, do I really want to engage with this and this person? And they don't feel the pressure that this is going to happen right now if I say yes, but it gives us the opportunity to say, for them to say, yeah, I'd be, I'd be willing to do that sometime. It puts the ball back in our court and we've got to be willing to be bold again because we've got to come back around and just say, you remember when you said you'd be willing to do that sometime? Could, could we get together for coffee today? I'd love to talk with you about those things. We've got to ask permission. We need to do it boldly, but we need to do it, but we just need to do it. A second, or then the next thing that we need to do is we need to learn to be a person that can ask questions and listen. That you can ask questions and listen and learn to just keep your mouth shut a little bit. Learn to hear people. So many times as you're engaging people and asking them spiritual questions, if they say something that you disagree with, we just feel this natural propensity like we have to correct them. What they just said, I don't believe to be true and I need to let them know that what they're saying, I don't think it's true, and it's not true. We, that's not how we engage with people. We need to just be a listener, understand where people are at. And in your notes, I'm just going to read these to you, but these are questions that I think can be really helpful for you as, you as you get that place, get to that place of permission, and you're able to talk with someone. How do we surface what's actually going on underneath in their life? Some questions that can be helpful. One would be, can you tell me about your spiritual background? Who has had the greatest impact on your spiritual, on your life spiritually and why? Do you personally believe in God? Why or why not? What do you think God is like? What words would you use to describe your spiritual life today? Would you say that you're moving toward God, away from God, or staying about the same? If it were possible to know God personally, would you want to? If someone asked you how to become a Christian, what would you tell them? And I always, you, you have to tell people, you can't say send them to a pastor. You need to respond because it helps you understand what do they even understand about what it means to be a Christian and how a person comes in to faith in Christ. And again, I want to underscore, it's not a time to rebut anything that they say that you don't think is true. It's just an opportunity for you to understand their worldview. Where are they coming from? Where are they in relation to God? And the last thing that we need to do is we need to constantly be people that are thinking about how do I gain access 
to the lives of more people? How do I find more people that God might be working in their life? Not only access to them, but how do I make my life available to them? And I wanna say this right up front, as, as I'm gonna try to give you some seed ideas, what I'm not saying is to try to create a bunch of events in your life to start to reach out to people. What I want you to think about is, what are the things in my life that I'm already doing? And how can I bring relational and gospel intentionality to those things? How can I think about what I'm already doing and just bring other people along in that? How can I get my life on their turf and get me on their turf as well and get them into my world? One idea would just be have meals with people. Think about it. You have 21 meals on average in a given week. What if you just got intentional about having one meal a week with someone that doesn't know Christ and using that opportunity to get deeper with them? And now don't get all Martha Stewart about it because that just would overwhelm us. Just order a pizza, get a bottle of wine, invite some people over and just engage with them. Use it as an opportunity to go deeper with them. Second idea would begin to walk, don't drive. And I know that this is a little challenging right now in Bozeman, especially with snow outside. Because right now is the season where our garage door goes up, we go in, the garage door goes down and we live in our little igloos here in Bozeman. But the days are getting longer, my friends, are they not? And pretty soon people are gonna be out and about. There's gonna be opportunities to walk the dog, to walk the kids. As you're out doing those things, playing in the park, engage with people, engage in conversations with people. Get to know people in your neighborhood that you don't know. Another idea would be a regular at places. We, we like to go to restaurants. We like to go to coffee shops. Be a regular at some of those places and get to know the people that work there. Begin to engage them in conversation and get to know them. I think about a friend of mine that's around here and it, it probably doesn't happen as often as I, as I think, but it seems like he's always talking about a waitress or a waiter or someone in an establishment that he goes to that, he's, that God's using him in their life. And I just think he's very, I don't know if he's even trying to be strategic, but God is using him in that over and over again. Be a regular at places. Do hobbies with people that don't know Christ. We're all gonna be about doing the things that we love to do. Involve people in our world that may not know Christ or teach your hobby to other people. Talk to your coworkers. Think about the amount of hours that you log with the people that are right around you. Lots of conversations, but use some conversations to go deeper and find out what's going on underneath the hood in their life. If you're a mom and you're at home, make play dates with other moms in the neighborhood that have small kids and use those opportunities to go deeper with them. Serve your community together. Take part in community events around here. I mean, there's great things going on, especially this summer. There'll be music on Main and Bye to Bozeman and Sweet Pea, all these things that the community does for us. Let's just do that with other people that may not know Christ. Find people to recreate and work out with. The, the bottom line is whatever it is that you're doing, inject a little bit of strategy and gospel intentionality in the things that you're already doing. And you'll see in your notes page, there's a, a nine and a 10 there. What, what would God ask you to do? What are the things that you're already doing in your world that God could leverage for kingdom purposes? And here's how I want you to think about this. All of these suggestions that I'm giving, these are all long-term things. These are not things that you're gonna have an influence probably in someone's life in the next seven days between now and the next time you come here. These are long-term opportunities. But what we wanna do is we wanna be people that are always cultivating relationships with people that don't know Christ and getting deeper 
into their life and understanding them. Just this last week, it was interesting. I had, there's a coffee shop that I used to go to all the time when I was um, working uh, on my seminary degree. And I have to log a lot of hours in there. And there was a guy that was always in there and always trying to engage him in conversation and talking about spiritual things. But I always kind of felt, quite honestly, like the walls were up a little bit. Uh, he always wanted to talk about golf and weather and things like that. But spiritual things were, were always just like a little bit edgy. Well, just... Last week, I had the opportunity to, I, I met a friend there, and I hadn't been in there for a while, but he was there, and he was asking me about my seminary degree and what was going on if I was almost done and telling him, you know, I'm taking my last class right now. I've just about got my master's, and I was just about ready to put my earbuds in to start listening to a seminary lecture, and he said, Bob, I quit going to church, and pulled my earbuds out, and I was like, well, tell me a little bit about that. And he just said, you know, I, I feel like I've just got some, some problems with religion and some problems with God. And, and I just, I'm still sending my money, but I'm not going to church anymore. And I'm not, I'm not sure that Bob attends a life-giving church in our community. I actually don't know exactly where, where that is. But he said, I, could we talk about that sometime? And of course, I'm ready to jump on that and scoot over to his table right then. And I said, well, let's talk about it, Bob. And he's like, well, wait, wait a minute. You know, I, I don't even have all my thoughts together right now. And, and I said, well, well, Bob, get your thoughts together because I'm going to come in here. And the next time I see you, I'm going to come over to the table. I'm going to hit play on you. And I want you to tell me what's going on with you and God. And I, now I think about that interaction. I mean, there, it was just, it was long term for years and lots of opportunities to try to talk with him. But suddenly God is bubbling up something in his life. And he feels like, you know, this is a safe guy that I can talk to about what's going on underneath the surface in my life. All these things that we're talking about are long-term. We need to, but we need to be the kind of people that are cultivating these all along the way. This isn't a quick fix. This needs to become part of the rhythms of our life. But friends, what I know beyond a shadow of a doubt is that God wants to use you. This is what the scripture says in Ephesians chapter two. It says, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God is working out his plan in the world. We can relax. It's not our responsibility to save anybody, but God wants to use us. He wants us to throw our arms wide open and just say, God, I'm available. I want my antennas up. I wanna know what those works are that you want me to do. And this is what I want you to do right now. I want you to put your things aside and I want you to engage in a conversation with the Father and ask him those very things yourself. God, what is it that you would have for me to do? God, what are those good works that you've prepared in advance for me? Who are people that you would want me to move toward? What are ways that I can increase my gospel intentionality and the things that I'm already doing? God, what is it that you want me to do. God wants to speak to you. He wants to reveal these things to us. And I want to take, I want you to take some time to think about that. And then I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond to whatever it is that God says to you in just a minute.
friends, as a, as a community that we call Journey, what we want to be is people that are willing to hear from God and respond to whatever it is that He's asking us to do. And we want to get around that together. And so here's what we're going to ask you to do. If you were here last week, we want to do something similar to what we did last week. I want you to grab out your cell phones. And if you don't have a cell phone that has texting, maybe you can just grab one of those cards that are on the chair in front of you. This is what I want you to do. Whatever it is that God bubbled up in you, maybe something that He was asking you to do, and maybe it's a couple of phrases or a couple of sentences, I want you to just text it up to that number that's up on there. What, what we want to do is that we want to get around you with that. We want to be praying for you, that God would use you in the lives of other people, not just for their sake, but for your sake, that your faith would come alive if, as you see God use you in the lives of other people. And maybe you're a, a person that's here this morning, and maybe you're at a place where you're just trying to figure out where you're at with God. Maybe you're, you're not ready to co-journ with other people because quite honestly, I just don't know where I'm at with God. We would love for you to use that same card or that same number and just text that in. Just say, I would, have, I would love to have someone come alongside me and help me in my spiritual journey, figure out where I'm at with God right now. Just take a couple of minutes and text in and respond to that and I'll pray in a, just a minute. God, we're so grateful that you use us. Father, we understand that you could use any possible way to bring people into relationship with you, but you want us to experience you as we allow you to use us in the lives of other people. And God, we just want to say that we long for that. Lord, I pray that as we walk out of these doors that you would give us incredible love and compassion for people. God, that we would be people that are expectant that you are on the move. And because of that, we're going to keep our antennas up and we're going to be looking for opportunities. God, we're going to engage with anyone that you bring across our path. Lord, we're going to allow you to use us in the lives of other people. God, I pray that you would give us great boldness and a willingness to get out of our comfort zone. God, we do pray that we would love people more than we love our own comfort. We ask all these things in the Son's powerful name. Amen.